Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, along with CPA Allison Rife Martin, Philip interviews estate planning attorney Christian Kelso. This episode is part of a dealmaker series done in partnership with Rife Martin Accounting. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. We are back with another Ask Philip podcast episode. And this is, is this the first episode of the year? I believe it's the first episode of the year. And if you're like me, you're you've already talked to your CPA or tax person and you're thinking about what the you know, how much am I gonna owe in taxes or how much I'm gonna how much am I gonna get back? I don't I don't think I've gotten back anything in taxes in a long time. I don't even know how that feels. Um so, so we're having a tax episode. We have two tax experts, and and one that um, you've heard multiple times before, Allison Rife Martin. She's going to be a regular this year on the podcast. But she brought a friend of hers, Christian Kelso, to the podcast. Christian is a a state planning attorney with a taxation specialty, and the firm he's with is Farrell Gillespie Heath Witter. But thank y'all for uh, hanging out on the show today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. No, my, my my pleasure. So let's just let's get straight into it, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna rift on a couple of core topics. Um, but you know, to get started, um, how did you decide to get into um, estate planning, and then bang your head against the table again and say, I want to also focus on taxation because that's you know <laughs> that sounds stressful. So uh, I got into estate planning for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, there was there was some family issues uh, that that my family went through, and and a little bit of heartache, and and it just kind of it just dawned on me that there must be a simpler, there must be a better way. And uh, I started looking into it and, and realized that you know um, if uh, if in this case, it was my granddad had done a little bit better planning, a little bit more thinking about the future, about the the realities of, of life, um, that maybe uh, maybe things wouldn't have been so difficult on my family. Mm. Um, uh, when I started kind of getting into it, one of the things I realized very quickly, and, and any estate planner w- will tell you this, is that estate planning traditionally has been largely driven by tax. And um, that that has changed a little bit in recent years, uh, but it used to be that uh, you know every middle class American was facing an estate tax problem. I mean, we used to have an estate tax threshold that was less than a million dollars. Was it wasn't was, like like it's like six hundred thousand or something like that? Six hundred and seventy five thousand uh, shortly before the Bush tax cuts. Of course, you know, that seems like ancient history now. Um, but you know, when you think about it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, so, you know, again, that, that traditional mode of, Hey, you know, you've got to do some estate planning because you're going to face an estate tax, um, still lingers in, in my world. Um, it has lessened. We now have, you know, we went from a $675,000 threshold 
slowly we we increased that threshold over the the Bush years, and then uh, during the Obama years, it was kind of up and down, up and down. Um, but uh, currently, and we'll see what happens with the new administration. But currently, the threshold is is well over uh, uh, eleven million dollars per person. So over $22 million per couple. So we've gone from this situation where everybody was impacted by tax and, and it was a high tax. It's like a 40, between a 40 and a 50% tax, depending on kind of what year you were in. Um, now, now we've got the, the situation where very few people are actually impacted by the estate tax. But what that means is that we have to now not worry so much about estate tax. Now we have to worry about income tax because <laughs> <laughs> the planning you do can impact your income tax. So it's still tax driven. It's just instead of being driven by the estate tax, it is now driven by either the income tax or the estate tax, depending on uh, depending on the, the wealth level and what the laws are when you pass away. Got it. Got it. And so. So I was actually kind of thinking too, especially since, like Philip said, we're into tax season. And um, what I've seen over the course of my practice is this is about the time people start to think about exiting their business, whether they're planning to retire, whether they're just like, I am so tired of being a business owner, I'd like to get out. What do you see or recommend as the typical timeline people should start to think about and talk with you about like the exit strategy? Allison, that's a really great question. And, and if there's one big problem I have with clients who are exiting a business, uh, it is that they don't come to somebody like me early enough. Um, two to five years is really your, uh, your runway uh, for doing some, some solid planning uh, on your exit strategy, I would say. I can't tell you how many people call me after Thanksgiving and say they want to sell their business before the end of the year. <laughs> and, and what can I do for them? And, and the answer is very simple. Not much. <laughs> so, um, that's something you need to be thinking about for a couple of years and, and really planning for and getting ready for. And there's some, there's some things we can do, but, but if you come to me with a couple of months, there, there's very little we can do. So on that, that kind of line, what kind of questions would a CPA ask their clients as they're moving towards, you know, either the age of retirement or, you know, just to kind of help plan to get them to think two years in advance, hey, you want to go talk to Christian about planning for sale, for the sale of a business? Sure. Well, you obviously want to have uh, the, the economics down. Most, most business owners don't have trouble with that. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's a starting point. And, and, you know, that, that's the easy part, you know, um, what is this business worth? What does this business generate uh, on an annual basis? Um, you know, whether you're looking at five or eight times EBITDA, you know, that's a, that's a accounting term that, that is frequently used to, to kind of thumbnail a, a value of the business. Um, all of those things are, are numbers on a paper. You can figure those out pretty easily. Um, what I counsel my clients to do first is to start and think about, you know, exactly how do you want to sell your business? Who do you want to sell it to? Um, you know, are you going to transition your business to somebody in your family? Um, are your kids going to take it over? Is one of your kids going to take it over? And if only one of your kids is going to take it over, what about the, the other kids you might have, right? 
Um, it is it is very common that you know people have a couple of kids and and one of them is interested in the business and and the other one or two or however many aren't, right? Um, so how do you how do you make that equitable? Um, that's a threshold question. If if none of your family is interested in taking over your business, well, then it's time to start, you know, looking at um, outside sales. Who are you going to sell it to? Um, do you do you have somebody on the line, or do you need to go to a broker? I mean, there there are people that make their living uh, selling uh, closely held businesses. I, you know, I know a lot of them. <laughs> right? It's just the nature <laughs> of my business, right? <laughs> Uh, um, you know, that's all they do. And, that, and you know, it doesn't matter if your business is, is worth a few hundred thousand dollars, a couple million dollars or tens of millions of dollars. You know, there, there are people out there that will help you do that. Um, and and again, the, the first question is, who are you going to sell it to? Somebody in your family, somebody outside of your family. That's that's for me. That's typically the starting point. That's typically question. Yeah. Question number two, I will ask is, is more of a legal question. So that's. That's kind of my counselor question. My lawyer question is, um, how are you going to sell the business? Are you going to sell the the equity in the business itself, or are you going to sell the assets of the business? And those can have some really significant uh, tax implications, hmm. right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of times, the the buyer just wants. Uh, you know, just wants the goodies and and none of the none of the bad parts of your business, right? <laughs> they want your client lists. Uh, they want you know something like that. Uh, they want your uh, accounts receivable, you know, but they don't want any of your liabilities. Um, so they don't want to buy the the stock or the membership interest if it's an LLC. They just want to buy from the corporation or the LLC. They want to buy the the things that are valuable to them. Well, that's fine, um, but but. Remember, that's going to leave you as the business owner or the business itself more more accurately stuck with those liabilities moving forward. Um, and you're going to need to find a way to, to pay them. So it sounds like the question should be more about, like you say, the economics as opposed to the tax. Because I know when people come to CPAs, all they can think about is the tax implication of the business sale. Yeah. So those are great. Those are great questions. So um, uh, anyway. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I know. I know. There's a lot of cool strategies uh, to sell a business, and, and we can do like probably a whole podcast on each strategy. But um, like, what's one of the coolest strategies that you've um, seen or worked on for a client to help them, you know, sell the business in a creative way, and they save taxes and you know achieve their goal or wh- whatever it might be. I won't. I don't even want to say t- save taxes because that, that puts it in a box. But like, what's one of the cool strategies you've done um, or, or you've seen? Yeah. So, um, you know, it depends on the client's uh, intent, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If the, if the client is intent is, is looking to to save on income taxes, Mm -hmm. a lot of times what we will do is implement some sort of uh, charitable strategy, right? We'll, we'll create what's called a, a, a charitable remainder trust or a charitable lead trust where we make a, a large gift to charity, uh, perhaps over time, um, and retain an annuity um, within that trust. Basically, what we'll do is you can give the stock, the, let's say the stock, if it's a corporation, you can give the stock of your company to the trust. The trust then sells it. 
Um, and, and there's a charitable component in there and you can save significant amounts on, on your income tax. That's, that's a standard thing we might do, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for an outside sale. Um, if the client, but you got, you have to have a, a charitable intent there, right? right I mean, right. cause, cause you are, you know, given, giving something at the end of the day to, to charity. Um, another option we might do is to try and mitigate our, um, capital gain hit. So a lot of times people have these startup businesses, they have very low basis in the business, right? Um, they didn't, they didn't buy the business. They created it from little or nothing. And, uh, and now they're going to sell it for a lot, hopefully. Right. And they're going to have a capital gain hit on that. Um, so one thing we can do if we get involved early enough, we can set up uh, what's called a grantor retained annuity trust. We can give that stock at a at a low value before before the sale is imminent. We can give it to a to this trust. The trust pays the client back an annuity uh, at an interest rate that's set by the by the IRS, and and right now that interest rate is very low. Um, then we start shopping around looking for a sale, uh, and we get uh, a higher valuation on that uh, that stock. Right. And um, and we can sell from that trust. We can sell the stock and only have to pay ourselves back that low interest amount Mm. that whatever's left over, whatever we've done above and beyond that can be passed on uh, to kids, uh, other family members um, at at zero tax consequence. It's a that's a good way to to shift wealth, as we say, downstream to um, to other family members. Nice. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so the motto I'm hearing is call your attorney early. <laughs> yes. Don't wait. Yeah. Minute. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, for example, with that, that grant or retained annuity trust uh, strategy, the, the grat, we call it, you know, if you call me right before you're about to sell, well, that sale is imminent and that sale is going to be incorporated into the value of the stock as it is transferred into the trust. We're not going to make any, any headway there. The, the grant works where you transfer the stock to the trust and the stock then appreciates in value above and beyond that, that required interest amount that the IRS makes you pay yourself back. Um, so you, you want to get that in early, right? Uh, and, and then, you know, do things within the company that make the value go up. Um, and if you don't do that, you're not going to benefit yourself. What have you seen as being the biggest mistakes that business owners make other than not coming to you until Thanksgiving? to sell their business by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's definitely the biggest mistake, right? They, they just don't show up early enough. Um, or they assume that, you know, because I have a, an LLM in tax that I can wave some magic wand and, and suddenly turn their, their tax results uh, into, into nothing. Um, you know, the other thing that we see happen a lot is somebody will will get engaged to sell uh, their company to some sort of you know some large corporate buyer, and um, you know that that corporate buyer will will typically have you know just you know an army of high priced attorneys that that you know that will have set up this deal, and of course those attorneys are going to make that deal very favorable to their client, the buyer. Um, they'll require the seller to make all sorts of representations and warranties. 
a lot of times that are that are very unrealistic. And the reason they do this is in case something goes wrong, they want to be able to go back and and sue the buyer. Excuse me, sue the seller, right? Um, you know, they, they know that person is going to have significant assets now because they've just bought the business from them. Hmm. Um, so at least they can get their money back. Um, so you, you really need to have somebody that understands uh, contracts uh, that can go through there and and review those those deal documents and make sure that they're realistic. Um, point these things out to their to their uh, clients. Um, and say, you know, d- does this really apply? You know, this requires you to have this, you know, such and such debt to equity ratio. Do you have that? Right. Um, I, you know, a lot of times the the sellers will say things like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I just went through this end of 2018. It was um, woman sold her business for twenty two million dollars is a big nationwide operation. And um, she sold to to one of her you know, competitors effectively, but it was a much larger company, 22 million bucks. And they were making her promise up and down that, you know, certain aspects of her business were a certain way. And, and they weren't, you know, I mean, I mean, the world is, is a realistic place. Right. And, you know, what she kept saying to us was, well, I, you know, don't spend time reading that. She didn't want to pay our fee. Don't spend time reading that. You don't need to worry about that. These are good people. They <laughs> promised me that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, I, I will use legal terms. They're not going to enforce the terms of this contract. Right? And, and our response was, well, then why are they putting them in here? Right, right. <laughs> why, why are you saying this if you if you don't mean it? Um, and, you know, and we advised her up and down and said, look, you, you need to change these deal terms here um, because you can't represent that your company is in this financial shape, shape when it's not. Um, but she did it anyway. And then she turned, you know, they, they turned around and sued her. Mm. You know, um, she saw that twenty-two million and, and and lost her mind, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so basically, what they had done is they dangled this large, uh, you know, this large amount of money in front of her, and then turned around and cut it in half, which they they knew they were going to do that from the get go. Come on, read between the lines here, folks. Right? But, you know, I was. It it makes me think how many times clients at the end will say, "Did I forget to tell you about this?" <laughs> oh God! Like yes. Uh, yeah, you, you did, and that's a big deal. So <laughs> big deal, yeah, well, yeah. Pay well, attention to that language. Well, Kristen, mm-hmm. I, cha- I changed my last. I changed my last question. I, I didn't. I didn't tell you about it, but I, and when I changed it, this is going to be my new last question for 2021. And I'm going to ask it differently to everybody. But what, what what are your thoughts about crypto assets and how do they fit into estate planning? Oh, that's a great question. That is a really really good question. Gosh, I didn't give you time to think about it, so. Yeah. Yeah. So as with any investment, you know, if if this is something that you are going to take the time to really learn about and and learn, uh, learn about legitimately, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't not just do a a Google search, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right, Really, really investigate and get to know. Um, Sure. If that's what you want to do, go ahead. Um, I think a lot of people have gotten into cryptocurrency because of the hype mm-hmm. and sure some people have gotten lucky but but it's just it's a straight roll of the dice you mm-hmm. know um if the thing goes up good for you you got you got lucky if if you really are investigating the thing and and determine for whatever reason that it's a good investment great i got no problem with that um, but don't roll the dice 
The other thing, people who not not merely invest, but the people who really trade in in those cryptocurrencies face some significant tax consequences. We had, um, I can't remember if it was uh, 2020 or 2019, we had some legislation come down that basically said, you know, every single trade you do is going to be a taxable event. Um, and you have to report all that to the IRS, which I think defeats a lot of the purpose of the cryptocurrency, right? A lot of people are in that because they want they want their transactions to remain private, um, ho- hopefully for for honest reasons, right? <laughs> we, know, we know there's a lot of criminal activity that's involved with cryptocurrency, um, but but hopefully um, the people that I'm dealing with that that's not them. Um, but there are some significant tax consequences uh, and, and you have to report it and getting that reporting right is difficult um, because of the new regulations we've got um, and also because it's a it's a new thing and and notwithstanding the new regulations there's still some some unknowns on what you have to report so you know guys like me that are that are transactional attorneys you know it's my job to keep people out of trouble so i have to take a very conservative view what could go wrong not what does the law say but how could somebody in a worst case scenario interpret this in a way that's going to have my client end up in court be that mm-hmm. tax court or, or getting sued or whatever mm-hmm. um and it's very difficult to do that in something like cryptocurrency because we just we don't have very many rules yet uh, we don't have any case law that tells us this is how it's going to be treated mm-hmm. uh, etc so it gets difficult to advise clients uh, on on cryptocurrency. Got it. Got it. No, in, in, interesting topic. Yeah. So takeaway is track as much as much stuff as you can if if yeah. if, if if you're in it. Yeah. Because I'm I'm um you know I advise on it and I'm I'm an owner of Bitcoin. Uh, I'm a okay. I'm a full. I, if you ask me, what would I rather hold, dollars or Bitcoin? It's not even a question. It's Bitcoin because dollars are garbage. Um, and so, um, I've been talking about it a lot and, uh, well, and, and you're, you're a textbook example of the guy I'm talking about the, the hypothetical guy I'm talking about. That's, that's the right kind of investor, right? Yeah. Philip, you're, you're taking your time to really investigate, make sure you're, you're knowledgeable about your investment and, and make a decision. Right. You're not just doing it because you saw on law and order that somebody made a million dollars on it. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. No, but, and, and I'm asking this question to everybody because like you said, it, it is new. It is the wild, wild west and there are a whole lot of unknown rules. So that's, I was like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this year to ask everybody this question and kind of, kind of start the conversation because yeah, it's like a, you, you, you in the estate planning arena, I mean, you're probably going to deal with a whole lot of very wealthy people who get wealthy from, uh, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency at some level because it's like, um, yeah, it's it's huge. So, uh, well, I was gonna say, I to me the takeaway is because I've talked to several clients who are in it, and they also, I'm like, do you even understand what you're investing in? And their answer is no. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so to your point, Christian, make and Philip, make sure you understand what you're buying because mm-hmm. you know there could have significant consequences. The least of which you lose all your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um. Well, I, I appreciate you, Kristen. This has been uh, super, super helpful. Um, how can how can anybody who's interested in learning more about uh, your planning, your services, or just you know, uh, to talking? I don't want to say talking shop because I don't want anybody to call you and like, can you give me some free consulting? Hey, man, if y'all call him, pay this man. 
Yeah. Right, but if, <laughs> but, but if, 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 if anybody wants to reach you, and what's the best way to do it? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you can you can Google my name um, uh, and and get to my you know my office contact info. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell it to you as well. Um, it's uh, it's fghwlaw.com. So that's the initials of my firm, Farrell Gillespie Heath Witter. Fghwlaw.com. Um, that's that's the easiest way to to find me. All my contact information is is there on the website. Okay. And are, are you on Twitter? Are you a Twitterer? What do you call it? Twitterer? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I still live in the Stone Ages. <laughs> I, I am. Uh, I, I I'm not on the on the Twitter. I'm I'm not on the Instagram. Uh, yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want to. I think I think it's mandatory that everybody's on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you are you not are you not a real professional? I, I believe that. I'm like if I meet somebody now they're not on LinkedIn. I'm like, are you really legit? <laughs> or, yeah. or are you a spam bot? <laughs> well, um, yeah. but no, thanks. And Kristen, thank you so much for yeah, doing thanks. this with us. This was really a lot of fun. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who haven't been at my website, go to stonehillwealthmanagement.com. Click on the 401k tab. We got a Stonehill 401k service that you've probably heard about. It's great for businesses that are small businesses, businesses between zero and maybe 150 employees. Uh, we provide love and service to the employees about how to plan and invest for retirement and a whole host of other uh, benefits that we give. It's all on the site. Check it out, stonehill401k.com. We create startup plans and help with selecting the investments and educating and advising our clients on how to invest and how to best reach their retirement goals. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.